Welcome to the 2018 6th Annual Kessler Neurotrauma Conference, sponsored by Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and Kessler Foundation. This conference presents an in-depth look at the art of delivering individualized rehabilitation services to this diverse patient population. Physicians, clinicians, and research scientists will provide insight into a range of topics, from mobility and fatigue to intimacy and sexuality to employment and empowerment, and will offer innovative evidence-based strategies to effectively support both the patient and the caregiver. This podcast was recorded and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Friday, December 7, 2018, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey. In this lecture podcast, Rachel Levinson, OTRL, and Kara Savage-McNair, OTRL, BCPR, of Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, presents Electronic Aids to Daily Living, Smart Home Demo. To listen to more conference podcasts, information about Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, or Kessler Foundation, check out the links within the description of this podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter. Let's listen in. So our main goal is to identify what commercially available products are out there that we can be recommending to our patients or even just suggesting to our patients um, and that will allow them better access to everything, to their cell phones, to their tablets, to their environment, um, and to everything that they want to be able to do. We're also going to look into how to set up and adapt those things for different patient populations. And then we have three different videos of demonstrations of a smart home setup, TV access, and then adapted gaming. We were originally thinking we were going to live stream, but in the world of technology, a lot of things don't work when you want it to work, so we figured that we might just do the videos ahead of time. Uh, So what are EADLs? And initially on your um, agendas today, it says that we were talking about electronic aids to daily living. So there's a bigger umbrella of assistive technology. Right, so assistive technology encompasses anything, a piece of equipment or anything that you're doing that's gonna allow the patient access to their environment or access to mobility. A large part of underneath that umbrella of assistive technology is mobility access and specifically wheelchairs. So a lot of people who are assistive technology professionals or ATPs um, are people who do a lot of wheelchair seating and mobility. Different from that, although it's all in the same category, is electronic aids to daily living. And this is cell phone access, tablet access, computer access, environmental access. So things like emergency system access and access to things within your home. Additionally, it includes reading, writing, and gaming and other leisure tasks. So in the world of occupational therapy, which me and Rachel are both um, occupational therapists, EADLs kind of covers what allows someone to be able to communicate to some extent. So in the OT practice framework, it's under communication management. But we've kind of seen over the last couple of years that a lot of times that's the patient's first goal is to be able to access their cell phone. Um, And sometimes access to their cell phone is also allowing them access to communication. We actually have a patient right now who came in with Guillain-Barre syndrome on the vent, and he doesn't have enough facial control that he can vocalize, and he can't tolerate vocalizing over the vent. 
And so far, the only things that we've been able to set up in terms of communication is more of like a communication board, which is tedious. And his occupational therapist was able to set up switch control um, on his phone with what was available to him with his head control so that he can actually be able to communicate to us, let alone to be able to communicate with his family really quickly. And then that worked pretty well. And then we actually found a better way for him to access his phone with just a little bit of head control through it, an app that we were able to download on his, his Android. So it's really exciting stuff. And these are things that are readily accessible to us and should be accessible to everybody else. And why is that accessible? Basically because now technology is more consumer driven and more consumer based. And a lot of the technology is, that's made kind of as convenience tools for people um, or as some people think of it as like the, the lazy adult has now really helped our population of, of people with disabilities. So it's really helped a lot with someone who previously needed to buy a complex system for their home to be able to control their home, now can use things that they can see on TV as a commercial that other people, that everybody has in their home at this point. Also, consumer-based technology is user-generated and user-driven. So when there's issues with it or when there's people provide feedback, they're kind of constantly adapting this technology. If you have an Amazon Echo, for example, you get an email every week that says, like, here's, here's what's new with Alexa, right? And you can go through that. And then on a weekly basis, they're adding in more accessibility features. That's really exciting. The other really good thing about consumer-based technology is that there's access to a lot of technological support. In the past, if it was something that didn't work for somebody in their home, they would need to call one specific company who works between the hours of eight and four, and sometimes you'd get the right person on the phone that would be able to understand things. Now you're calling Samsung, or you're calling Amazon, and these are people that are round the clock providing you consumer support, which is a huge deal. So why, has things, why have things changed so much in the world of smart homes for, in particular, but smart technology? So the way that wireless technology has grown has really allowed for people to be able to create an in-home network. So the availability of Wi-Fi, which basically everyone has in their homes now, allows um, this kind of central network that you can then pair devices to. So most things now have become Wi-Fi compatible, and you can link your computer up, your cell phone up, and then add on to that. Additionally, over the last 10 years or so, building from the original smart home technology that was developed in kind of the mid-1970s, there's now more access to radio frequencies. The radio frequencies allow for an in-home network that isn't really affected that much by Wi-Fi. So I'm going to go through it a little bit more. It gets a little confusing. And I remember when I was first looking into this, I was like, well, I don't get it. This thing is saying that it works with Zigbee, and I don't know what that is, and where did that come from? So it's really not that complicated once you start looking into it. And it's not that important to know what technology something uses. It's just important to know that not everything's compatible with everything else. Um, so the first thing that you look at is, wait, I thought I had the chart. Where's the, oh, there it is. Okay. Um, so I, I'll actually go back here and talk about um, the smart home technologies a little bit more. So Wi-Fi itself, the more things you add to a Wi-Fi network, the more it kind of decreases each individual response. 
whereas the smart home technologies, which are different levels of radio frequency like Zigbee and Sion Z-Wave and X10, the more you add to it, it actually builds each individual response. So when you have somebody at home who has an Amazon Echo and then a Wi-Fi enabled plug and they have a bunch of Wi-Fi enabled plugs and they're all on the same just Wi-Fi network, those plugs might not be consistent. They not, might not be responding successfully. Wi-Fi is made for really complex stuff. It's made for a lot for streaming things. It's made for downloading things. It's made for complex computer tasks. It's not made for smart home technology. Things like Bluetooth were created for a quick response for two devices within close proximity. So that's why it's, Bluetooth is used a lot in, in locks, smart locks, right? So you get up to your door and it recognizes that you're there based on your phone app and then you can be able to unlock your door, whether it's with voice control or with an app on your phone. Whereas Wi-Fi isn't meant to do those things. So you might see some commercials for um, some wireless providers that say, you know, up your Wi-Fi because you're going to add more smart things in your home. That's not necessarily true and that's not necessarily going to help that much. The more important thing to do is to look to get something that can communicate through those smart radio frequencies. And the more you build within that, the more you can actually strengthen your smart technology. So I'll go through it a little bit more. So the home center, which is, we've kind of created this word as a home center because it's technically not a hub because I'll go through a hub in the next slide. But a home center is what's you know as, as voice controlled. So it's an Amazon Echo um, and a dot, the whole slew of Amazon things, and then a Google Home, and then an Apple HomePod. Those are the three main home centers. There are some other ones out there, but these are the ones that are marketed more than anything else. Those connect to your in-home Wi-Fi. So usually it's a quick pairing with an app on your phone to your in-home Wi-Fi, and then that's it. So if your Wi-Fi goes down, the home center will go down, um, but usually it comes back on and it remembers um, what it's linked up to. A home center on its own only does internet-based things. So you can ask it, what's the weather today? You can ask it to set a reminder, to set a timer, things like that. You can't just plug it in and tell it to turn your lights on because your lights don't know that it's supposed to, they're supposed to do that yet. Um, a hub, on the other hand, is something that's meant for smart home technology. So a hub is built and can communicate through radio frequencies to a device that you want to be able to control. So the hub actually has to plug into your wireless router through an ethernet connection. That for us was the hardest thing here because um, we have a really secured network, right? Like a lot of hospitals do. So we couldn't necessarily just plug something into the back of an ethernet connection. So that actually for us took us almost a year to get through um, you know, making sure that we can identify that this was something that was just unique to our smart home. And that actually we found with talking to other um, spinal cord injury centers that they were having the same issue, which it seems really basic, but, but it, was a, it was a barrier that we had to get over. Um, so the, the hub connects directly to your wireless router, and then that hub itself communicates to your home center through Wi-Fi. That's the only part that's communicating through Wi-Fi. Then the hub connects to everything else that you pair it with through its own smart technology, 
whether it's Zigbee, Z-Wave, Insteon, or any of those other radio frequencies. Some hubs communicate by different types of technology, so they're more compatible, and I'll go through that um, on a chart that I have. And some only communicate by one single technology. Now, there is an Amazon Echo out there that has a built-in hub, and there are some home centers now that have a built-in hub. Most of those only communicate by one single smart home technology. So the Amazon Echo Plus, for example, only communicates by Zigbee radio frequency. So if you get an outlet that you think is smart and you plug it in, if that doesn't communicate, by the, if that doesn't speak the same language, it's not going to work. So this chart is really too much information, but um, it shows four, uh, five of the main hubs that are out there. Insteon, which we actually have, Wink, Samsung SmartThings, Lowe's Iris, and then Wemo. And then on the bottom here in technology, it goes through what type of technology they communicate by. So Insteon only goes by its own technology. They still can't give it up, apparently. And then Wink goes through all these different technologies, so they seem really <laughs> compatible. Um, SmartThings has three different technologies. Lowe's Iris has Z-Wave. And then Wemo only um, is working through Wi-Fi. So the more compatible and the more that they have access to this, these types of technologies, the better. And the more consistent the response. So we usually recommend if it's somebody um, who wants to just be able to control one thing in their house, like just a lamp, you can start with the Wi-Fi plug, and usually that's not going to bring down your Wi-Fi that much. But if they want to be able to control a lamp, a fan, and their thermostat, then you might want to look into a hub because you're going to get a more consistent um, response. So that brings me to things that you can suggest that someone control. So lights can be smart in different ways. You can have a smart light bulb. You can have a smart switch that a lamp is plugged into. Um, and then you can actually also have a smart switch on the wall. So an electrician would have to replace your current light switch with a smart switch. So it just depends on where the smart technology is, but it can be in different ways, and it's kind of whatever works for that, um, that person's home. A smart plug itself can just plug directly into an outlet, and then that itself receives um, smart technology. Now, usually, with a smart plug, you can't just plug anything into that and expect it to be able to respond. You need to typically plug something into a smart plug that has an on-off switch. So you keep it set as on, and then you have control over on and off. Usually, you can't. Everybody always asks, well, can I plug my TV into a smart plug and then be able to voice control it on? No because a TV typically doesn't have an on-off switch necessarily. It has a button, and that button is controlled on a remote control that then sends its signal through infrared. And infrared is not in a smart plug. So I'll, we'll go through CV access in a second. So other things, actually, that we um, usually recommend for our patients. Um, lights is a big deal for a lot of our patients. Smart plugs um, with a fan attached to it usually we'll recommend. Thermostats, depending on if someone owns the home, is a good idea so that they can control the temperature and set it. We also, a lot of times, have patients use, this is the new Facebook portal, but there's also the Amazon Echo Show, and then this here is the Nucleus. They're all different types of video monitoring systems, and 
depending on the type of technology that they use, someone can kind of drop in on somebody else and see that they're okay. So we've had patients who in the past needed 24-hour supervision that now their family member can leave for work and be able to drop in on their Echo show at home and just touch base with that person and make sure that they're okay. So this is, this is a really useful type of technology. We even had a patient here whose wife lived in Virginia and she would work during the week and she had set up a nucleus in his room, set up to a Wi-Fi hotspot, and she had it at home back in Virginia and she could just check on him because he wasn't able to pick up the phone and communicate with her. So this is our first demo. It's filmed in a crowded gym, so the sound isn't great. Uh, so what we're gonna show you is actually a patient of ours who we have set up as just like a modified smart home setup. We have Amazon Echo here, and then not shown in the video, we have an Insteon hub. And then the hub is hooked up to a smart plug that this on-off light is plugged into, and a smart plug that this on-off fan is plugged into. And then we also have another light over here that's not shown that has a smart bulb to it. So all of those things together with the Insteon Hub, we were able to create a routine for when he wakes up in the morning. So first, you'll see uh, we have an alarm set. The alarm's gonna wake him up. And then we have a routine that, that he just says, Alexa, good morning. And then it goes through a series of events. So it turns both lights on, it turns the fan on, and it also gives him the news. And then as his caregiver's coming in and helping him get out of bed, he can then follow up on more things. So then I think towards the end of the video, he asks Alexa, what's the weather for the day? Just to be prepared for the day. Can you play it from there? Alexa, stop. Alexa, good morning. Here's your flash briefing. In CNN News. Ready to book your next all-inclusive vacation? Head over to bookit.com. So the, the routine that we had set up was just good morning. He just gets up and says good morning, and it does multiple, multiple things at a time. Good morning, I'm John Berman. These are the five things to know for your new day on Wednesday, November 28th. CNN has obtained draft court documents that suggest special counsel Robert Mueller plans to show how former Trump advisor Roger Stone allegedly sought information and emails from WikiLeaks using another operative, conservative author Jerome Corsi, as a go-between during the 2016 campaign. Republican City Hyde Smith will keep her Senate seat. CNN projects Hyde Smith has defeated Democrat Mike Espy in a racially charged Senate runoff election in Mississippi. President Trump is trying to cut subsidies to General Motors after the automaker announced plans to shut five plants and cut thousands of jobs. But CNN Business reports GM is not aware of any significant subsidies it is receiving. Investigators looking at last month's Lion Air disaster now say the pilots repeatedly fought the plane's automatic safety system before crashing into the Java Sea killing all 189 people on board. This newly released video shows the moment an off-duty border patrol agent ignited a 47,000-acre wildfire in Arizona during a gender reveal stunt. The fire caused more than $8 million in damage. I'm John Burton. Thanks for listening. You can tune in this afternoon for the latest headlines. Don't forget the full stories at CNN.com. That's all from Flash Briefing. Alexa. What's the weather? In Summerton, it's 41 degrees Fahrenheit with mostly cloudy skies. Today, you can look for lots of dew with a high of 43 degrees and a low of 35 degrees. 
So another thing um, that he could easily use this for too, um, especially in this series of events, is link it to his contacts on his phone and be able to call someone. So if his caregiver wasn't there, he can actually call her from the other room or from somewhere else. And he would just have to tell Alexa to call whatever name is already preset in his contacts. So now all of the home centers basically allow for someone to link it up with their contacts, which is, which is really um, exciting. And a lot of our patients might have an Amazon Echo at home already, especially someone who can access a cell phone, but we usually tell them that if they fall and they can't get up or something like that, then they can at least link Alexa to their contacts and then be able to have this voice control for being able to either call an emergency um, response thing or to be able to call a loved one. So the TV is a little bit tricky in terms of making it smart. And like I said before, it's because of the need for infrared for that um, remote control to be able to reach the cable box directly. And some smart TVs nowadays don't necessarily have that same technology, but most do. So most still rely on infrared. And Basically, all cable boxes rely on an infrared remote. So some of the times you can set up the TV to be smart itself, but then the cable box doesn't necessarily respond. So the things that have been put together to allow for that is this is the Amazon Fire TV Cube. This is pretty new. It came out, I think, around Prime Day this year, so back in July. And then this here is um, the main screen for the Logitech Harmony Hub. So those are the two main things that have allowed full TV access through voice control. And the reason that they allow that is because they have infrared blasters. So they cannot just control some of the smart home technology, but they also have the ability to send an infrared signal to the television. Now, usually you need to pair it with the remote control at the same time, so the setup takes a little bit. But once it's paired, it's actually pretty good. The Fire TV Cube has an HDMI input and that plugs directly into the TV. So some things it can override because it's directly connected to the television and that will show in, in the next video. One thing that some of our patients will do too is use Google Chromecast or Apple TV or just a typical Fire Stick. And those things have, um, what's it called? Voice buttons on the remote control that they can voice control, but typically you need to press the button in order to voice control it. So a lot of our patients can't press the button. So there's ways to get around being able to do that as well. So here's our TV access. So in this, um, we're just using the Amazon Fire TV Cube that we've made compatible with the television there. And then separately, he has an Xbox that's connected through the Fire TV Cube and the television that he'll get to at the end. But other than that, there's no other technology. We actually don't even have a remote control for this television. So everything was set up with the Amazon Fire TV. Thank you. Alexa, movie time. He said, and I really like this command, he said, Alexa, movie time. Alexa. So I set that command up so that it down. turns the TV on, turns the Xbox on at the same time to get the Xbox like fired up, and then it Alexa. brings him to this main screen. Choose four. 
Alexa, show one. Alexa, scroll left. Alexa, choose three. Alexa, play. Alexa, go home. Alexa, switch to HDMI 2. Okay. Yeah, so he was able to turn the TV on with a command, scroll through the menu. How many times are they going to say this? He was able to scroll through the menu. He was able to scroll down, scroll right, scroll left, select certain things. He can also control the volume, play, pause, and then go home is the command to get back to the Fire TV home screen. And then he was able to say switch to HDMI 2. So he was able to switch inputs, which sometimes, like my mom can't even switch inputs on the television, right? So he was able to switch inputs, get to the Xbox, and now is um, in the in the video that we have next is being able to start to voice control the Xbox. Now on Amazon's website, they don't even tell you that it's compatible with Xbox, but on the app, we were able to kind of see that it is an available option. So we just started attempting to pair it. Now it's definitely not as consistent as the Fire TV is, but I think there's a lot of potential there that I think that they're, we know their secrets, that they're trying to build a little bit more compatible things with Xbox and things like that. So that's really exciting because now they were actually, with a couple of the commands, we were able to scroll down on Xbox's screen and be able to control some things on the Xbox. So hopefully that'll be more and more compatible. And the Fire TV Cube has become more and more compatible with other streaming devices and other TVs because some of our patients don't use cable that much. And so with that, they can use this and use their Hulu app, Netflix app, HBO Go, whatever that might be. But this also, the Fire TV Cube pairs with a cable box, and then you can control the cable box entirely. So I, I use it at my own home, and I can switch between channels. And I never remember what channel is what. So you can just say, Alexa, turn on CNN or turn on Disney Channel or something like that. So if something isn't necessarily meant to be compatible with something else, there is a web-based app out there that's called IFTTT. So it's if this, then that. And the purpose of this is it's basically you, you can create combinations of programs that when I do one thing, it tells another thing to work. So things that previously weren't compatible now can be compatible with use of this app. So it works a lot more. Most Google Home things you have to use if this then that with. I found that Alexa is usually just straightforward compatible with more things, but Google Home hopefully is getting there. But other things, it, it 
it just makes your life a little bit easier sometimes. So there's some apps that you can say, like, when I say this command. We're going to switch topics a little and talk more about phone, computer, tablet access, I mean, not so much of the environment. Uh, so the first thing you want to think about when you're setting up someone's phone or tablet is what their access point is going to be. So Kira spends a lot of time talking about voice access using Alexa. Um, and I think everyone knows phones do have a lot of Siri, OK Google, and we're going to have a whole other slide about phone access. Um, but so voice access is always one, uh, one way to access technology. Another one would be directly accessing your phone, touching it, um, using a stylist, and then any other switches you add there. Um, and then switch control. So you can get really complex switches, like a sip and puff. You can get like a nice switch at someone's hand, someone's leg, wherever they can consistently and reliably hit a switch all of the time. Um, and it's really important to remember, I know a lot of our patients don't like switches in front of their face. Um, so we'll try to go with their hand or whatever other spot they can use. But if they can't consistently move their hand to hit the switch, you're not going to want to use that because they're going to get frustrated and then they're not going to use whatever technology you're trying to set them up with. So just really make sure whatever switch you pick and whatever access point you pick, it's really reliable and really consistent for the patient. Okay, so phone and tablet access. Um, all phones now have voice control built into it. Hey Siri, okay Google. Um, S-voice, whatever it is, um, and believe it or not, as, as much as we all know about it, patients don't think right away to access OK Google um, or Siri. So simply setting up Siri, putting it on, will then allow the patient to make phone calls, send text messages, check the weather, um, do really basic things. Unfortunately, they are pretty limited in what they can do, so you can't hang up a phone call um, you can read and send text messages, but you can't really like scroll through your phone and you can't control a lot of apps. So a lot of the apps, you can open up the app with your voice, but then once you're in the app, you need to actually be able to touch your phone. So it has good things to it, especially if you want something quick to give your patient that independence to communicate. Um, but you're going to want to then look further and see what else is built into the phone. Um, so then phones now also have something called switch control. And uh, switch control is a whole other kind of topic in itself. And we're actually doing a presentation just on switch control. And it's, it's easy once you know it. But ultimately, what switch control lets you do is control your entire phone. So you can control social media, surf the web, whatever you normally would do on your phone, you can do with switch control. Um, and basically, what it is is a box that is a rectangle, and it scrolls through your phone. You would make a selection, and then it makes a smaller box, and then you make a selection, and it opens what you want. Um, and it's really nice to give, especially like our younger patients who want to open Instagram and Snapchat that you can't do otherwise, really one of the easiest ways to do it is switch control. Um, and, then, and this is just something that's built into the phone, so it's really consumer-based for the patients. It's just a feature in the Apple. You go in and turn on switch control. Um, and then there's apps out there now. So Sesame enables this one app that you just download and it uses the front-facing camera of your phone and you use head control and, and eye movements to control your phone. A cursor comes up on the Android and you, as you move your head, it just scrolls around. Um, in the past, there's been things similar to this and it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, but all of these things are either built into the phone or um, just apps you can download at a pretty cheap price. And they're using your front-facing camera. Um, and then there's also, you know, you can use external things like a stylist, mouth stick stylist. 
Um, and within the accessibility features, there's other things like um, people use the accessibility button, that white button, if you can't click the home screen, you can adjust the sensitivity of, of how, off, how um, much force you need to touch the screen before it picks it up. Um, some features like that you need to hold the icon for a couple seconds before it actually registers it. So people who might have a tremor who accidentally click everything on their phone and you just need to change how sensitive the screen is. So there's really simple things that are built into the phone that are easy to do. They take seconds to do that someone might not realize they can do. Um, and phones and tablets now are really what everyone's using. It's a form of communication. It's a leisure activity for leisure activities returning to work, managing finances, managing communications. So phone access and tablet access is what people are asking for right away. And it's simple things like turning on Siri that are gonna give them that independence. So computer access. So computer access in the past to make it um, accessible was really, really expensive. You had to have really complex setups. Um, and it was really frustrating for patients. <clears throat> so computers now have built-in technology. So voice access is the way to go. So Apple computers have voice access built into their computer for anyone to use. It's not anything special on there. Um, and so do uh, Windows computers. And so you just need to go in, turn on the voice access, and you can fully control your computer. So they're still working on the built-in technology for the computers. Um, but they're really nice for someone who can control, you know, the mouse, but maybe don't have the endurance to type um, or they need something as like a buffer back and forth. You can use this built-in technology that's into the computer. And then there's also software you can buy. So Dragon Naturally Speaking is just a product out on the market that you download and it gives you full access to your computer. And it's a little bit more reliable than what's built in to the computer. Um, there's a little bit of a steep learning curve, so you need to remember really specific commands. So like mouse click, mouse double click, but you can't say click mouse. It won't register that way. So there's a steep learning curve, but once you understand it, I've had patients say, you know, even if I could use my arms, I would still use this software. Um, it's just so easy to use and navigate your entire computer um, purely with your voice. Um, and then there's adapted mouses that are out there. So 3D printing is just really promising field in general, um, but you can 3D print adapted mouses, so for your mouth, for your mouth, um, and just using your mouth as a joystick controls the actual mouse of the computer, and then you can make switches for the left click and right click, so it can be a sip and a puff, you can make head switches, whatever you want that are going to act just like the mouse, and again, they're 3D printed or relatively inexpensive now that you just plug into the USB and you get full access of your computer. Um, and then more simple uh, changes that are really easy to give patients access to their computers. So typing aids, you can think about giving track balls. Um, so someone who can't actually move the mouse, they're just moving the ball to scroll on the screen and then clicking. Um, and then the on-screen keyboard. So if someone is using any of these kind of adapted uh, softwares, and they can't use the keyboard, you can actually just have this keyboard on the screen and use whatever technology you're using to, to control the screen. Um, and then there's this product that you can see in the top. This is called Glasshouse. So it's $300. It's relatively inexpensive in comparison to what technology used to be for computers. Um, and the top part up here is a um, Bluetooth sensor. So it's sensing the screen. And you just need to move your head 
and it moves the mouse on the screen, and the click will be a, a left click, and you can do a double bite, and it would be a double click. Um, so you just pair to Bluetooth to the computer, and that's all it takes. So it's really, really simple. Um, and because it's more of a consumer product, they do have really good support if you have problems. Yeah, only on Android phones. Um, so then wheelchair access. So wheelchairs in the past used to only um, have infrared built in. So you can actually pair your TV to your wheelchair joystick. So someone who can't use their remote can use their joystick and it acts, it programs the remote and you can control volume, channel up, channel down through the infrared connection. Um, this is nice if people only are using cable and the general TV functions, um, but now with so many people streaming and using Netflix, you really then have to go into what Kira was talking about to access all of that like Wi-Fi technology. Um, but wheelchairs now are having Bluetooth built into them as well. So a lot of like the switch control and the mouse for the computer that all use Bluetooth interface, the joystick on your wheelchair, whatever type of joystick you use, acts as a mouse or acts as your switch. Um, and will then give you access to your computer. So someone can pair their computer to the Bluetooth of the wheelchair, and then that joystick acts specifically as their mouse. And then you set other switches for like left click, right click, whatever you need to do. So reading, writing, gaming. We're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about gaming. Um, but in terms of reading and writing and the consumer technology that's out there now, um, within, Amazon and Google, you can play Audible. So from your Alexa, you can just say, Alexa, play Audible, I don't know, The Glass House, and it will play you your Audible book. Um, so instead of figuring out how to make accessible someone turning a book or setting up the book for them, they can now just listen to a book, a podcast, um, through an iPhone, you could tell the iPhone to play your Audible and it will open the Audible app, but then you're stuck. So then you can't play it from there. So you're a little bit more limited, but if someone has access to their phone, they would then be able to use whatever their phone access was to play it from there. Um, and then you can use things like Dragon for writing. So if someone's not able to write and they don't wanna use whatever other adapted technology you have, there is things like Dragon, and text-to-speech on your phone, on computer, that allow you to write if you want to write a book, write an email, or write whatever it is. So Xbox has come up with this really, really nice adaptive controller. So gaming in the past was really, really expensive and complex if someone wanted to be able to game. Um, so Xbox just in the summer? Yeah, September. September um, came out with this adaptive control, and I've seen so many commercials that are really, really pushing the adaptive controller. Um, the controller is only $99, so it's not any more expensive than if you were to buy a regular Xbox controller. And it's nice because you can plug a switch into every single control that the, the normal Xbox would have, um, and you can do a dual combination. So if you see in the picture, he's using the Xbox controller, um, and then the adaptive controller, and then here's the two switches plugged in to the controller acting as like the top buttons for him. So you can do a whole combination of, of things to set up the Xbox. Um, do you have anything else you wanna say about Xbox? Yeah. 
yeah. specifically. No. And they have, I don't know if this is on. It is, I think. I don't know if this is on either. I'm silenced. Um, they also have a feature now on Xbox called Copilot, and that's what we've used here, so he can use both controllers at the same time. But for some people, they can have one controller with you know, an individual, and then someone who's helping them if they want to be better at that game, for example, um, to be the co-pilot so that they don't necessarily fail at whatever task they're trying to do. So not just for some of our spinal cord patients who have mobility limitations, but some of our brain injury patients who have cognitive limitations, this is a really helpful tool in the world of just neurological recovery. So it's, it's exciting. Exciting stuff. Here's the gaming pro. <laughs> I think you need to play the video. So here's the same patient. He's um, going to voice control the beginning of scrolling through Xbox um, and then actually use the adaptive controller and the regular controller with the switches to play a hunting game. Okay. Alexa, tell Xbox to play the hunter. plug and unplug things. Um, so that was really helpful. So we just kind of problem solved with the patient what buttons he wished he had more access to, and then we would put more switches into those. And it's just a quick like plug and go, which is really, really great, because some of the products that used to exist, you had to repair each individual switch that you would add into it. So, and, um, you know, for this particular patient, gaming was something that was really, really important to him. Um, and the things we kind of exposed to him initially, you know, they just seemed really complex and difficult to use, and he wasn't really interested. Um, and then when we got this adaptive controller, he, like, the light, the face, oh my God, can't speak. <laughs> he was very excited and loves playing now Xbox all of the time. So, back into bad habits. So, okay, some things you want to consider in general. So, you want to focus on the, the ease of use. So, like I mentioned before, you don't want to set someone up with something that's really, really complicated or really hard for them to use um, or inconsistent because they're not going to use it and they're not going to enjoy doing it. And these are things that are really important to our patients and that we can set them up for success. So, think about what's going to be the easiest way for them to do it. Um, you're going to want to start simple and then add more components. So just starting, I usually start with like setting up Siri on someone's phone and then build from there. So great, now you can make a phone call. What can we do next? Um, and same with setting up a home environment. So like let's just start with turning on a light switch. Then from turning on a light switch, now let's add some more products. Now let's create a scene and keep building so that they don't feel overwhelmed, they don't forget the commands. Um, and really give them complete independence in their environment and all of their technology. Um, you also want to think about what the patient knew before, so what technology were they using in the past, and what are they familiar with. So someone who's only an Apple user, 
you're not gonna necessarily switch them to using Android products unless there's some really, really specific reason that you need to do it. So try to stick with what they're familiar with and build on from there. Um, and then keep your options open, expose patients to all of different options. So really low tech options, you can show them some high tech options and offer different companies. So I will show patients sometimes, this is what Android can do, this is what Apple can do. Um, I've even had people try to use um, the Amazon Alexa and the Google Home. So he spoke really quiet and he had an accent. So we weren't sure which product would pick his voice up better. So we actually plugged both in and gave him the opportunity to try the Alexa and the Google Home and see really what responded to him the best and then build from there and teach him what products would be accessible for that specific company. And then use your resources. So that's what's great about consumer-based technology this entire presentation is that it is available to the mass market. So there's so many resources out there. Blogs, support groups, customer support, that's how we learn this stuff and everyone knows how to use this technology, so use what's out there. Uh, technology is always changing one day to the next, so really make sure you're staying on top of the technology um, and tell your patients, we tell our patients all the time, look online, see what's out there, read the, read the blog, see what you like, um, because the information is out there and that's really what's great about the technology. And then just in general, the benefits of EADL and all of these products. So besides giving independence, which is of course what we wanna do, I always like to talk about energy conservation. So we're really spinal cord injury based, but thinking about those patients who you know, need to save their energy, someone with MS who is sitting on the couch and instead of getting up to turn off the light to watch TV, they can just still sit on the couch and say, Alexa, turn off the light and then watch TV. Um, it's also safety, so as Kira mentioned, having the ability to check in on who's ever at home, um, being able to call easier if you fall, um, and then just the general convenience, that's why we all use it. Um, I like to tell my patients if they're in bed, their caregiver put them in bed, they can't transfer out of bed, and they woke up in the middle of the night and they want to turn the light on. They typically would not have the ability to do that. You can now have an Alexa just set up in their room, tell Alexa, turn on the light, turn on the fan. Um, people who have difficulty with temperature regulation who can't change the temperature normally now can just voice access from the couch or their wheelchair or their bed and change the temperature. I think that. Um, so kind of in conclusion, technology is pretty much part of everyone's life now. Um, phone, tablet, computer, gaming, leisure, it's people's working, school, it's, it's everything. Um, and technology is really, really available now, and it's really nice that it is this consumer-based pro consumer products that are um, easily accessible. They're for everybody. They're for me, they're for you. So it's not having your patient set up with something different and giving that stigma that they have all of these things attached to them. It's a phone just like I have, just like you have. Um, and technology is always changing. So it's getting, it's growing. It's changing, it's getting better, um, and there's so much out there to give our patients these independence and live really the highest quality of life. Do you have any other summary? Um, and then we have a bunch of links. Um, so Tecla, which is the uh, switch control, they have tons and tons of video of, um, of how to use switch control, what it can do. Um, Apple has really great accessibility uh, information on their website and they have some really great videos. Um, Smart Things, which is just Samsung's um, hub. Um, Sesame Enable, which is the app that you control with your front facing screen. Um, 
that's pretty much it. References. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, and Warfighter Engaged is the last link down there. Actually, they helped us a lot with the adaptive gaming, and they're a company based out of New Jersey. And the guy, Ken Jones, who runs the company, actually 3D prints from his own house. And he 3D printed some of those buttons that you saw in the one um, accessible gaming video. And so he's actually come up here before and consulted with some of our inpatients to create uh, 3D printed adaptive controllers so that somebody who had hemiplegia, for example, was able to access everything with one hand. And that's a, comp technically they originally were just for veterans who wanted to be able to access gaming. And now that he's realized how much of the population also wants to access gaming, he's reaching out to more facilities. So we met him at the American OT Association conference, but he's been somebody that we've been in close contact with. So also if you, and if you come into contact with someone who does want to access gaming and doesn't know where to start, that's a good place to start, is just to email that guy and see, and go to the website and see what they have available. And he lives in New Jersey. Does anyone have any questions? So she asked how easy it was to get insurance to pay for these type of products. <laughs> Luckily, they're cheap. So we've had some workers' compensation insurance companies cover. We've actually had some workers' comp not cover some things. We've written elements for them, for uh, Amazon Echo, for switch control access. We actually had a insurance company recently asked us to write an LMN for an echo for a patient in his home as an emergency system access. So maybe things are changing and maybe they're realizing that this can help, especially with caregiver burden. If I don't have to pay a caregiver and I could just pay for this $99 Amazon echo, yeah, that sounds great. Right? So as of right now, we've only had some workers comp cover it. We've never had commercial insurance cover. So but We'll Sorry. keep trying. The other way we've um, gotten it covered recently was a patient actually um, told his landlord that he needed um, the ring doorbell. Um, and the landlord just asked for a letter from us stating that it was medically necessary, that he had this doorbell. And basically, it would allow him to unlock his door from bed so his caregiver could come in. Um, so his landlord was the one who installed it for him. To listen to more conference podcasts, information about Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation or Kessler Foundation, check out the links within the description of this podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.